This is Inside LAFC, the podcast yet to be named, but we'll come up with the name. I haven't really put much thought into it over the last week. I am Max, Max Bretos, Bretos. Uh, I like to be called LAFC Max, but as I said, we have four other Maxes in our office, so I have to be very careful with that. We have Kevin Baxter of the LA Times joining us. Kevin covers soccer in Los Angeles, not just LAFC. We see him covering it uh, uh, intently, and he also covers the Galaxy and everything that comes through here. This is a soccer town. 100 percent and it's getting bigger all the time so i'm looking forward to our conversation hearing what he has to say because he's going to call it like you see it i mean look i i i always err on the side of lafc because it's easy to do because they're always on the right side of things and what they've done is remarkable but you know the perception of lafc out there is a little different and we might get a little bit of that from kevin we're also going to talk about the mls's back tournament kevin was in orlando to tell you what it was like, and it's probably a lot different than you would think since after tuning in to the games. We are now pivoting towards games uh, August 26th or August 22nd, the first one for LAFC coming up in the next phase in market. This is great news. I know the supporters out there are feel like things are going on without them. Don't feel that way. This is a means to get to games where you can attend them. Orlando was one phase where it wasn't even, you know, this was on a field. It wasn't. Now we're in our actual stadium. And I guarantee you, when you tune in and you can see our games on YouTube TV and also in Estrella TV, but come join us on YouTube TV. We really appreciate the support. We'll have a full pre and post game show around the games. We'll be doing four of those games, including, I think, a Galaxy game. But when you see the games in the stadium and they're framed a certain way, it's a comforting feel. I think you will get that when you watch the European games. So when you watch Barcelona at the new camp, you see it. It's a step in the right direction from playing on an empty field in the middle of nowhere in Orlando. We're glad for MLS is back and we moved on to this next phase. So we'll talk about the next phase here in a little bit. Wanted to get my thoughts on MLS back is back. I'll make the brief. This is a tournament. A lot of people thought should not have happened. I woke up every morning terrified to click on Twitter to see that another player got a positive test. Thankfully, it was isolated with two teams, and the team tournament went on. And in that tournament, MLS made history. They had that Guinness Book of World Records where it was the single, des- single venue sporting event with 51 games breaking a record. I think NBA may break that. Who cares? That's a record. Who cares? It's, it's, it's nice, but it's not the lasting impression. But what was the lasting impression was a a tournament where you got to see every team play. You get to watch Minnesota, in addition to LAFC, Minnesota United, if you wanted to see all the games of Philadelphia Union, if New York City FC, FC Cincinnati. It was a great education for me. And if anyone wanted to seize that opportunity, and a few people, a lot of people did, you get to do that in a short amount of time and really learn about it and appreciate the league. Young players stepping up. Obviously, our Diego Rossi, who scored an amazing clip uh, with all these games in transition for LAFC, he took advantage of it. I will say this. Do not expect Diego to continue that because because of the conditions in Orlando, everything was so wide open and it fit right into Diego Rossi's game. Teams are going to defend him a little differently. He'll still be good. And what we saw there was great, but don't expect a goal and a half a game. It's not really fair, plus Carlos Vela. And I don't think you were, but this is a different dynamic as we move to the next phase. But Diego Rossi, 
Brendan Aronson, uh, the James Sands kid at New York City FC. These guys are in the shop window for Europe now. Chase Gaspar uh, was a really nice revelation. This is great for these guys. And then you had the guys who were like over 30 that had an opportunity to really put teams on their back, and they did. Sebastian Blanco for – oh, Eric Williamson for Portland was another one I really enjoyed. Xiao Matinho, former LAFC guy, to see him take that next step, that's, that's great. But with Sebastian Blanco, Nani, these guys getting that opportunity was fantastic. The Black Players for Change was – allowing MLS's back to have this forum where they could open up the dialogue. Young players coming together for this, for this movement. For Look, you don't have to agree with everything that, uh, that is on their platform, but opening the dialogue is essential. We've got to talk about it. If Mark Anthony Kay, who's been very verbal about it, says this, this, and this, listen. And if you feel there's something that's not 100% copacetic, then if you get an opportunity, you talk to him about it. But this is the dialogue that I think this country has been striving for. We have to talk. We can't go, we'll have, we have an echo chamber here and an echo chamber there. We all come together. So this is no minor detail, what happened there. And for them to continue to keep it ever present through the tournament is a huge victory. I'm so proud of those guys. And I look forward to talking, having real conversations with them. I, have, I get that opportunity when I see these players, when we get to see the players by and large. That is a, a huge development, and MLS should applaud themselves for how they handle it really well. The final uh, thing I wanted to address was the bubble. In, and I'll talk to Kevin Baxter, because Kevin was sending tweets early on about, and many others were, cancel the tournament, it's not safe in Florida. It was a huge risk, but MLS believed in their plan. And then day after day after day, no positive test, no positive test. You had the situation with Dallas and Nashville and no positive test. And what happened is you showed you have a system that works that will allow you to bring back sports or other walks of life if it's in some sort of bubble circumstance. A lot of people are skeptical about everything, but when they see something that works, it gives hope and it gives them something to strive for and duplicate in whatever they do. Okay, that bubble works. We are in a hotbed of COVID and the bubble works. MLS uh, triumphant in pulling through that and I thought it was fantastic. And now the landscape is completely different. We have in our pocket something that works. The NBA is beginning to reap the benefits with game after game doing that. And all other sports, we've seen it in Europe, are going to follow suit. But MLS really was at the forefront doing it like this, along with NWSL. And those leagues have to be given a lot of credit. I'm going to take a quick break. When we return, Kevin Baxter of the LA Tom Times to talk about LAFC, soccer in Los Angeles. And we'll certainly talk about the MLS's back tournament in Orlando. This is Inside LAFC. Please subscribe, rate, and review when you can. This is Inside LAFC. Uh, I am Max, and I am joined now by Kevin. You, we know, everyone knows who just, when you say Kevin, who it is. Kevin Baxter. Do do yes, really we do. I mean, Max, people know Max, Maximilian, you know. <laughs> but, but Kevin, I don't know. Ke well, Kevin, the reason I said it is because you are uh, omnipresent with not only 
LAFC, but with LA Soccer, with the LA Times. You were, we're going to talk about, or you were in Orlando for MLS's back. So, I mean, when it comes to intimately covering LAFC in particular, uh, you, we see you everywhere. People see you every time, all the time. So I'm very happy to have you for that reason. Well, thank you. I mean, LAFC from the start has been a lot of fun to cover, um, which is not to say the Galaxy hasn't been, but there was just this energy with LAFC from the start. And, and I think we covered them pretty aggressively, you know, when they were looking for the stadium, when they were looking for putting the ownership group together. Um, there's always something going on there. It's, nev it's never boring. And for the most part, I think it's been pretty positive too, right? I mean, things have worked out largely the way uh, people said, you know, the ownership group said they would way back in 2014 when they started this whole thing. To the point where uh, they've created uh, expectations. Would you say that? Because now after being so good, after two heading to the third season, it's, it's expected by many to, to win trophies. Well, and let, I mean, look at what they've done. Uh, second year in, they're the first team, by the way, in, in MLS history to finish the top of the conference standings in their, fir in their first two seasons, then the second season. No other team has gotten off to that kind of a start. You know, last season was the greatest regular season in MLS history. Uh, they've tied the goals record. It's so many things. They When they tied the goals record last season with 85 goals, they also uh, had the lowest goals against in the league. They only gave up 37 goals. So they were good on both sides. The problem is, you're right, they've created expectations. Do you know LAFC's lost twice now in 36 MLS home games at the bank? They've lost twice in three playoff games, and that's the problem because they have created those expectations. People expect them to win. It's a surprise when they don't win. Um, but this team was built to win trophies, not to, to set regular season records. And I think that's been a little bit of a disappointment that they haven't gotten – they haven't broken through on that next level yet. You know, Atlanta did that. Um, all these good you – know, Seattle finally did that. Um, they made the playoffs every year and could never break through. Um, that's the next big step. And I, I, I think people are beginning to look at the regular season now as – especially now, you know, eight teams will make the playoffs in the conference. Uh, people look at the regular – nine teams. People look at the regular season now as just a warm-up to the playoffs, kind of like the NBA. It's what you do when you get to the dance that really matters now. And I think everyone affiliated with LAFC uh, – expects those expectations that's a bad t phrase right there but uh they 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 welcome those expectations and i always use the seattle model a little bit more than the atlanta one because it, it was a team that was very good for a good time and eventually they broke through i would i would tend to think that lafc is on that trajectory because winning the mls playoffs is tricky credit to atlanta for doing it but sustained excellence i guess in major league soccer will eventually pay off for for lafc i would imagine well, I'll give you another example from another sport. If you remember back around the turn of the century, when that wasn't that long ago, the Atlanta Braves had a great team, and they would win the division every year. But not just win the division, they would dominate. One year they had four players hit 30 home runs. Another year they had three 20-game winners. But they never – they won one World Series in like a 12-year span with all these division titles. They never, they never did very well when they got to the postseason. Um, and I – Seattle was a very good team – but they only won one supporter shield. Um, they won a number of U.S. Open Cups during that, that period when they made the playoffs and didn't advance. I see LAFC as a little bit more like the Braves, a, a team that just dominates in the regular season. And for whatever reason, they're just, they don't seem to be built for the playoffs. And, too, and, it's too early for the Braves analogy. Too early for the Braves <laughs> analogy. 
See, I, 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 my point is Seattle was Seattle was good. LAFC is dominant. Um, I okay. There, I think that's fair, and I think what uh, LAFC uh, has done. It's it, it's kind of Atlanta and LAFC has thrown the vision of expansion teams out of whack. And I think when Seattle came as an expansion team and Atlanta did, and now LAFC, people say, okay, expansion teams have this advantage. We, we can't really put our finger on it, but they have an advantage and they're supposed to do it. But I think we have seen with expansion teams since that these are still outliers. These are teams that uh, did something pretty remarkable to be so good because with Cincinnati and, and you know, Minnesota's coming around and, Nashville and Miami, it looks like that's a, a long-term play that we're seeing the reality of expansion teams. Would you, would you agree with that, that LAFC and Atlanta are, are the exceptions? Right, and I think that goes back to ownership. I mean, you had some deep-pocketed owners in Atlanta that decided they were going to compete from the start. Remember, they had an academy and everything going before the first team started playing. So, I, And LAFC is a little bit from that model. They didn't have that academy built out, but they did make some investments going into this thing. Um, they were ready to play from day one. And then I think you look at some other you know, franchises, Cincinnati, they're still building the stadium. Um, it's very expensive to join MLS. And there are some teams that, and this is not a criticism, but there are some teams that say, look, we spent a lot up front. Let's get this thing going. We'll build this out. We'll be good in a couple of years. We have a plan. Uh, and there's other teams that say, no, you know, we're going to be good from the start. We've spent $100 million, $150 million to get in. Um, now we need to spend twice as much to make that investment worth it. I just think it's two different models. Uh, and I think the finances play into that. Um, LAFC decided with their ownership group that just being, in part, being part of the league wasn't enough. And, and another thing I think driving LAFC, were, when you look at other markets and other expansion teams, they, they had the Galaxy looking right over their shoulder. They had to win the hearts and minds of fans from the start, going against the best team, uh, you know, in league history, um, and and they've done that. I mean, I know that El, El Trafico, it's even uh, as far as the record goes. But when you look outside of that, you look at what LAFC has done in its two years, and the Galaxy, you know, struggling to make the playoffs. Um, certainly, I think they've, you know, they've been the dominant team in the market. I think it'd be hard to argue with that. I would I would argue that LAFC has. Obviously, they've gone out and got big-name players, uh, but they've been savvy with those moves and how they spent their money. I would also say that some of these clubs that come in, there's a lot of pressure now because of what clubs have done to deliver. So if you, like for in the case of FC Cincinnati, if you come in and you, you have a slow burn, but you had all this enthusiasm like LAFC, like in Atlanta when they came in, that it's, uh, you, you risk losing some of that enthusiasm and you risk losing some fans. So would you say that there is really incentive to come in hot? Yeah, I, I think there is, especially when, again, when you have another team in the market and, and you kind of hit on it, there are two models. It seems to me in MLS, it's sort of the old model, which is get a big name star, try to build around that, create attention that way. And then there's the Seattle model, which is go out and get good players. And if no one's heard of Nicholas Ladero, um, uh, and they're not going to come buy tickets to see Nicholas Ladero. They will come and buy tickets to see a winning team. Yes. And I think LAFC is a, kind of hit both sides of that. I mean, certainly Carlos Bella is a huge marketable, bankable star, a Mexican player in LA. That's great. But come on, as good as, as these players have been, 
did you really know much about Diego Rossi before he came in or Edward Atuesta? Mark Anthony Kay came off a USL team. I mean, I think they've done a great job building a team. And, and that's the problem. So with some of these other teams, you know, when Quatima Blanco, for example, was in Chicago, they didn't build around them. The pieces didn't fit. Not only had, did LAFC bring in a, a marketable star, but then they built around him with, with pieces that, that fit uh, Tyler Miller, you know, his first two seasons, this was a guy John Thornton knew because he coached him in college. Um, you know, Tyler Miller was not supposed to save the franchise came and did a great job in, in uh, for two seasons. So I, I think they've done a little bit of both. They've built smartly, but they've also gone out and got some people they could market around as well. I think it's a great point to uh, uh, Kevin and what we've always thought in MLS, like bring in the big stars, bring in Quatema, bring in Beckham, bring in, and sometimes they work, but people, they always argue, you've got to bring in someone that's going to bring fans in to the stadium. And I realize now that you, winning games does, uh, does that even more convincingly than bringing in a star player. We, as we've seen it with these clubs. So I think it's a very, a very valid point. I wanted to ask you quickly about the balance covering LAFC and the Galaxy and just touch on what you said. So... Uh, how do you balance your time? I mean, you're in both games as much as you can be. And just to your point about how LAFC had to come in in the market and really put their foot down, which they have, and, and win, win the city by and large, how have you seen that dynamic? And how do you see it where these two clubs have to you know, compete for real estate in Los Angeles? Well, first of all, I think there's a misconception that sports writers are fans. We are not fans. Certainly, we have a passion. We have a passion. Did I say fan? I didn't say fan. No, no, you didn't. But I, you have you have to write your articles, and you have to be you have to be pretty direct in your from your perspective. Well, you know, it, it, let's let's say both teams play on the same weekend, which they do quite a bit. And LAFC wins five to nothing, and I write write a story that said LAFC wins five to nothing, and describe how great they played. The Galaxy lose five to nothing, and I write about how they didn't play well. People assume that I'm an LAFC fan because of those two articles. You know, we we have passion for the sport, but we're not allowed to be fans. We can't be fans. I will say. Uh, it's much more fun to cover a winning team. So if there's any, if there's any, uh, you know, skin in the game, it's there. It's much more fun to be around a team that's winning, but you know, the, the bottom thing is just be fair. Um, and I try to, um, uh, you know, I try to follow the good stories and sometimes there are more good stories on the LA, LAFC side and it looks like I'm covering them more closely. It's just, I'm following the stories. We generally try to do something to advance every game. And then we cover, you know, every game at home with a staff writer, generally me. Um, the, the one thing where it might get a little tricky in trying to balance everything is road games. Um, we try to go to, if we go on the road with LAFC, say three times, we try to make three Galaxy trips just to keep it even. Um, but uh, I, I'm not even sure where, where I'm supposed to be going with this, Max. <laughs> Pull me in. Pull me back. No, in no, I, I know what you mean. It's like you follow the you follow the stories that are compelling. That is what you know. That's what gets people to write your articles. And you know, right now with LAFC, it is a situation where there's more compelling stories on a regular basis. Now, I will say this, and you could piggyback on this. This, I, I'm in the minority with LAFC. Like what I, when LAFC plays the Galaxy, I want LAFC to thump the Galaxy, but I want the Galaxy to do well otherwise because it feeds into the rivalry it feeds into this city being a legit soccer city and i think that's really healthy and if for some reason the galaxy become say the worst team in mls 
that doesn't benefit this that doesn't benefit this dynamic and what we've been able to grow i mean we've got to kind of we got to the galaxy has to be propped up and i think they'll be fine they've always found a way they're a franchise that has earned the respect with their championships and what they've done for this league but if lafc is on one spectrum and the other and you know it i don't think it works as well lafc be great but i i don't know if you want to I don't think a diminished galaxy is great for LAFC in the big picture. No, you're right. And, and I know nobody was there. They weren't allowed to go there. But that 6-2 to two game in, in the MLS back tournament, really, I mean, as a fan, sure, I'm sure a lot of LAFC fans were excited about the result and the scoreline. Um, but was really, from a fan perspective, was really that game more fun to watch than the 3-3 tie at the bank last year. Um, remember, LA, uh, Galaxy got off to that big lead and LAFC came back. I mean, that was a much more compelling game. So you're right. It's more fun when the teams are even. And it means something when you when you get a result against a good team. If you're beating up on a bad team and they happen to be your rival, that's no fun. Another thing I'd say about the rivalry, though, is in the last couple of seasons, there have been, I think, two dates each year when both teams have played at home. And we know the bank sells out every time, so there's 22-5 there. Galaxy also drew big crowds of those games, 24-25. We had 47,000 soccer fans watching MLS games at the same time on the same afternoon. We did that twice, or well, now four times, I think, in the last two seasons. If my math is right, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Now, I know Seattle and, and, and Atlanta will get that many people in one game. Our stadiums aren't that big. But I don't think that – I know there's no other market in the country where 47,000 – MLS fans were attending games in the same afternoon. Absolutely not. And it's, it's a testament to how I think LA is going to become, if everything goes well, and I, it's certainly on that trajectory, that it can become one of the great soccer cities like Milan, like Manchester, like you know, London, you know, where it is consumed by these soccer teams and they compete with the other sport leagues here in the U.S. We talked about Orlando, all right? So let's, let's shift focus. You were in Orlando. You were, you, you were not in the bubble, but you were in Orlando able to cover it uh, and, we'll, and cover the teams and obviously have some access from there. What was that all like for you? Well, I think one thing that the fans that were, were not there, and, and again, fans were not allowed to go there, but watching it on TV was a totally different thing. First of all, just to get the – All right, you went – I'm sorry, you went to the – you were able to attend the games. Right. I, I, I attended, I think, uh, I went to the first game, which was the uh, Orlando uh, Inter-Miami opener. Then I t attended all of the uh, LAFC and Galaxy games. Um, and luckily, they, they all played on the same day because they were in the same group. Um, but, you know, getting the sports writer complaining out of the way, we were down in a corner. We couldn't see the whole field. Um, it wasn't even <laughs> visible. The other side of the field, we were behind, sort of behind one goal line. So that side was pretty good. The other, the other side of the field was just a rumor. And there were no, uh, you know, replay monitors or anything like that. So it was very difficult to cover. Um, but the big thing, I think, is for fans watching at home, it was totally different in the stadium. First of all, a lot of those advertisements and, and things you saw, the, the, you know, the fake jumbotrons and stuff, those were not visible there. Um, but the biggest thing was the, no it was the noise. There was no noise. It was very quiet. You could clearly hear coaches and players yelling at one another, calling out to one another. Um, it felt like a preseason scrimmage. And I say that because when you think about the way the players played, it, it was a mental challenge as well as a physical challenge. And we know the heat and the humidity were, were, you know, crushing. So it was a physical challenge, but it was mental to drive yourself through that. There's no supporters. Um, there's no ambience of any kind. Wow. There's, 
there's no stadium announcements, you know, substitutions, although when someone scores a goal, you know, those goal, those goal calls that you hear in the stadium, none of that. And, and especially for a team like LAFC, which is so used to the 3252 and that incredible environment at the bank, or even as the number one team in MLS being booed on the road, none of that was there. And as Mark Anthony Kay told me, you got to make that up. You got to, that has to come from within. You have to find that drive and that determination and that second gear inside yourself because there's no fans to help give that to you. And I, I think a lot of players, believe it or not, came away understanding just how much the fans mean to them because a lot of them have never played in an environment like this since high school. I know we have some listeners from the 3252 and just fans across the, that would sit in Bank of California stadium. I, I, I know they will be thrilled to hear that because the, the feeling of soccer going on without them. And look, the sport needs them there. We need it for it to be successful. This is just a means to an end, which I've told the supporters when I've talked to them, go, look, we need to do this first step. So I think that certainly makes them very whole and great news for them. And great to hear it from the players. I've been in that facility too. And I mean, there's no noise. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's no cars driving by. There's no horns. There's no ambient. So to I haven't heard that from anyone, so I really appreciate your answer, Kevin. This this silence, silence beyond silence, like you were in on a camping trip somewhere, but with some coaches and players talking. And, and, and you know, baseball has tried to create ambiance. If you go to a Dodger game now, no fans, but they still play the music at ear-splitting levels. There was a, a play the other day where uh, a player could not hear the umpire who was standing behind them and in an empty stadium because the music was so loud. They're trying to create an environment. They, they at the baseball stadium, they make announcements when the batters come up, they play the walk-up music. Um, you know, you, I think you can do that in baseball, but these, this, the ambience in soccer is so um, of the moment. You can't just fake it. You can't just play music and fake it. And so, yeah, the, the players really miss the 3252. Um, they miss the fans. Every, players on other teams talked about it as well. Not about the 3252, but talked about just missing the sound and the ambience. But you know what? You're right. I mean, this is a temporary thing, but, um, you know, I, I'm not sure that what happened in Dallas last night with the, the you know, 2,900 fans in the stadium, I, I don't know how much that helped. That was almost kind of sad. I think we're in the middle of a global pandemic, you know, um, the fans will come back when it's safe. I don't think it's safe right now. Um, I, you know, watch the games on TV, the players will muddle through and we'll all be back at this again next season. Um, the fans are important and we're finding out just how important they are, but, but doing something like Dallas did, I really don't know if that's the answer. I would like to, I, I was okay with it. However, after I was watching the game and you could hear certain fans saying things in the stands. And there was a, an episode Reggie Cannon tweeted where uh, they took a knee and someone, and we'll assume it's just one person said something uh, derogatory and it, it really hit Reggie Cannon, who's a very quiet player. He doesn't really speak up, but for him to voice out was uh, unfortunate. So maybe other reasons to prevent smaller fans from coming out. I hope not, but if you, if, if you allow 3,000 fans in, those 3,000 fans better better be on their best behavior because they're going to set the tone for more fans coming in. And I don't know if that we really got that in, uh, in Frisco, Texas. And we're not going to get fans in L I mean, we know we're not going to get fans in any of the three California teams. The, the state's been pretty clear about that. And, and I don't see that changing. It's possible in phase two of this comeback, you know, if, if, if things really calm down, but it looks like people have determined already set their sights on the end of the year. So we're probably not going to see that in California. Um, uh, you know, I, I, watch the games from home, be safe, and, and we'll do this again next year. 
Kevin, let's go back to Orlando. And I, you, you have a good Twitter following. You break a lot of stories. So a lot of folks nationally follow you. So I, 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 I am one of them. And you were in Orlando and the cases were going up in Florida. And there was real concern. And I, did, did you think the tournament should have gone forward? And seeing how well it went, would you think that that is still the right decision that it did? Well, th those are really good questions because at the beginning, I thought this was a really dumb idea. And I thought I was right because you had two teams come in with 20 players total test positive. Both Nashville and, and FC Dallas had to be withdrawn from the tournament. It looked really bad. And then we had other positive tests coming in at the same time. It didn't look like this was going to work. But you know what, Don Garber and Mark Abbott, they were 100% right. They stayed the course. They, they had a lot of confidence in their protocols. And it worked out. The last, went the last five weeks, uh, over 10,000 tests, uh, and no one else tested positive after, the, after, after that first week. So MLS was right. They got it right. They had 1,300 people in the bubble. All the epidemiologists I talked to said that's way too many, that you can't control 1,300 people. They got it right. Give them uh, you know, a million percent credit because there were a lot of people like me that were saying you shouldn't do this. Paul Kennedy of Soccer America even wrote a story where he talked about here's how we back out of this tournament gracefully. Here's how we sue for peace with honor and everyone go home and, and let's make this, uh, let's start again next year. You know, the NBA did it, WNBA did it, uh, uh, you know, NWSL did it. This bubble concept really proved to work. And so kudos to them. I didn't think it should have gone forward. And I didn't think it was, I, even after it started, I didn't think it would end. And part of the problem was, um, for those of us who did go to Florida, uh, it was crazy. I mean, people in restaurants and bars and uh, people walking around without masks and that social distancing. And the numbers reflected that kind of craziness. You know, the, the, the number of cases and deaths are still uh, skyrocketing there in Florida. But, you know, they were right. Um, you know, MLS was right. Uh, but when you look at what's going on with baseball and, and the USL championship leagues that are traveling to different cities, some playing with fans, some not, um, I'm back to being a skeptic again. Uh, again, MLS won me over. They did a great job in Orlando. I was wrong. They were right. Um, I was not alone in being wrong. Um, they were alone <laughs> in being right. But I'm, you know, now we're, now we enter another, uh, sort of uh, dimension where teams will be traveling. They'll be going to different cities. They go home at night. The other thing with the bubble is you were in the bubble. You did not go home at night with, with your family. You didn't go to the supermarket. Uh, you didn't go to the Taco Bell drive-through after training. You, you, you know, you went- <laughs> A popular destination for players alike. <laughs> a lot, yes, yes. Well, okay, for sports writers. But <laughs> my point is the players were controlled all the time. And once you let them out of that bubble, you know, they're on their honor to do the right thing. Uh, and sometimes through no fault of their own, uh, you know, they're going to be exposed to the virus. So th this next stage is going to be really tough. Uh, MLS wants to play 18 more games. That would give them a 23-game regular season. That's good. It's the smallest regular season in MLS history, but it's much better than, say, baseball playing 60 games instead of 162. It's a, it would be a legitimate regular season if they can get to 18. Um, you know, again, I'm back to being a skeptic. I, I want them to prove me wrong once again. They did a good job last time. And you want to be proven wrong. I can hear that. You're like, you're like, I, I, this is how I feel. But you, your answer, I really appreciate your answer there, Kevin, because I remember everyone saying, let's cancel it. I didn't say anything, but I was like, this is, this is an uphill battle. I want to give MLS a, a, a chance here. But if I wake up tomorrow and say that uh, Orlando City had five positive tests, then we probably have no choice but it was isolated with those two teams. 
those two teams are kind of on the hook for it because 24 other teams, with the exception of the one test with Columbus, were able to get their teams there all without any positive tests. But uh, it's always good uh, to, to see that process. And now we're in a different place where we know this works. So uh, it, it, it all ended up well. I was relieved and everyone now moves to the next phase. But you said you're a little, you're skeptical here because it's going to be in market where guys can go to the Taco Bell drive through Guys can spend time with their families by and large. They have to be very cautious, but you will never be able to recreate what's what you will get in that bubble, for instance. So it's really up to the players and the coaches here. And I know, you know, the conversation I had at LAFC, they are, uh, they're all 100% on board and I have a lot of faith in them, but you still have to worry about all the other teams and the travel as well. So what do you think the big challenges are going to be there? I think it's that player discipline and, and you're right. I mean, when you look, one thought I had going into the bubble or the bubble adjacent is when you look around at the teams in the league, I think Dallas was one. A lot of people thought, that was a team to keep your eye on because I, that was my sleep. That was my sleeper pick to win the whole thing. Well, I, I don't mean on the field. I mean, oh. I, as far okay. as the bubble, it's a very young team, not yeah. a lot of, not a ton of veteran leadership. Um, not someone to sit there and say, look, wear the mask. Um, you know, it's only going to be a couple of months. Let's, let's do this. Right. You know, there were, there were, there was stuff on social media of them in the charter uh, plane, just kind of horsing around without mask on and everything. And, and lo and behold, they get there and everyone tests positive. When you look at Bob Bradley and LAFC, not only the veteran leadership and people like Jordan Harvey and Carlos Vela, but uh, Bob Bradley, I mean, he sets the tone. There is one way to do everything, whether you're playing, whether you're training. Uh, he talks to people, you know, in, in, as you know, in the cafeteria there at the performance center, uh, just about their personal life and how to be disciplined in your personal life. LAFC was the one team I had 100% confidence in that they were not going to have anyone test positive and they were going to do it the right way. I expect that to carry over. But now we get back into the Dallas's and some of these young teams without a lot of veteran leadership and you wonder how they're going to handle it. Um, we've already seen that in other sports. It only takes one slip up. You can be good and do everything right for six weeks and then you make one mistake. Uh, and you put your whole team in jeopardy. And this is a long season. MLS Cup Finals, December 12th. Um, and these guys have just come, in, come out of a month or five weeks in quarantine. Now we're asking them to be on their best behavior and, and be monks for another four or five months. It's going to be tough. And the pressure on some of these teams and players is going to be immense. And we ha you have to give your utmost respect to not just LAFC, but all these players that, that came back in Europe, came back in, in NBA. Obviously, they have some issues with baseball. But all these players that have adopted this lifestyle, we're all being careful, but they have to take three or four layers, including multiple testing. So I think they really have earned our respect because for our entertainment, they're making this sacrifice. And I, for one, appreciate it. I know you do too, because it keeps us engaged following this team, Kevin. And employed. Keeps us and employed. employed. I, I was going to say that too, but I don't want to throw But we obviously, without any soccer, we, I got to start a new craft. I got to learn how to build. I got to be a carpenter or something. I got I to gotta learn how to shave wood on YouTube. And I don't want to do that. I like where I'm at. You know, and, and you, another example I, I hear from fans too is, well, they did this in Europe. They made it work in Europe. Uh, yeah, I hear that example a lot. We're talking about a continental sized country in the U S um, you know, England's the size of California. So you put the premier league here, it works. Um, if, if you all of a sudden have LAFC or the galaxy need to go from California to Chicago, 
that's a, the long road trip. Um, and um, you, you, you wind up probably having to stay overnight. And that's why phase one is uh, of the comeback now is all regional. That's why they're playing regional uh, games so that you can travel day of game. You don't have to stay overnight. There are a lot of problems just being in the United States uh, for all professional sports leagues. The size of the country makes it very difficult. Uh, so the, the comparison to Europe, yeah, they're playing the same sport but under totally different situation. Again, Kevin, I'm really glad you said that because it, when you listen to the news and I don't want to get off the topic of sports or go, why can't we do what they're doing in Germany? Why can't we do what they're doing in South Korea? Why can't they do what we're doing in New Zealand as a country? And it's, it's next to impossible because we are so huge. We are so diverse in topography and geography and every and every walk of life so it was always going to be an uphill battle to be able to pull off anything where we're going to get together just being in this country so i don't know if it was accurate to compare it to countries that are are you know kind of on the same page and you can probably travel from one end to the other in a day or two yeah in a car <laughs> correct and and the, the obviously we all know the political environment here is a little bit uh different too not everyone is uh is on board with some of the social distancing and mask wearing guidelines. You know, they, they we should be four or five countries, quite frankly, when you look at how different we are in different places, but we managed to be one. Yeah. So it, it you know, and, and you talked about your respect for the players. It, we, we have to do our job too, though. Uh, yeah. the, not sports writers. I mean, the public, we need to do our job too and uh, trying to keep this virus from spreading. The players have much, you know, much more difficult road to hoe, but we need to do our part too. Very well said, Kevin. This was a very good conversation. I, I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it too. Before you leave, I got to ask you about your time at the Miami Herald. I grew up in Miami, driving down uh, the was it the uh, Arthur Godfrey and seeing the Miami Herald right there on the bay. Always it made me warm. It's not there anymore. But what, I mean, that, that was a big time. That was, you were a bit of a that's a rock star paper back in the day. When were you there? And what was it like working with the Herald? Well, you're right. I mean, back in the day when they had Tropic Magazine and Dave Barry and, and Carl Hyacin were writing uh, on a regular basis. And Levitard was floating and all these guys were there. Le S.L. Price, Grant Wall started there. Um, you know, there, yeah, it was a, a, uh, a mega, a mega newspaper. And it still is, even today, in its diminished state. Miami is still a great place to yeah. go learn how to be a journalist because there's so much news. So much <laughs> there is. More news than a place of 3 million people, yeah. 4 million people. Yeah, it, there's so much crazy stuff going on. And and you'll appreciate this. When, when I went there, it, you feel like you're living in a foreign country, only the, the electricity works all the time. I mean, you know, it, the language, the official language of Miami is the whatever language you're, you have to be speaking at that time. It could be Spanish, could be Creole, could be Portuguese. Sentences start in one language and end in another <laughs> all the time. Very true. People just understand it. And, uh, and it, it was the most fun I had um, with, with the seven years that I, that I lived there and not just the work but just living in Miami it's a crazy crazy place but it's for young people if you want to go there and and, and guard yeah. your retirement nest egg uh Miami's not the place you want to be I, I'm 48 the only reason I go back there is to see my family but uh the, the idea of living there is completely off the table but that was we we had our fun times the public's deli the public's that's, deli Publix. Go back. Publix. Get, get yourself some pastelitos while you're there Great conversation, Kevin, man. You are wonderful to speak to. Appreciate all the work you're doing uh, for soccer in Los Angeles. And uh, let's do this again soon. Let's do it. Yes. Thank all you. Right. And make sure you subscribe to Inside LAFC and all the podcasts on uh, the LAFC stable of podcasts. 
While you're there, rate and review us. We will be back next week. Thanks again.